Thank you, Brother Nelson. Appreciate that. It was a blessing. Amen. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. So thankful for those in our midst who are willing to get up when they're uncomfortable, share their heart, and minister to us and to the Lord. Luke chapter 16 this morning, and I just want to um, remind you of our Christmas gift for Jesus. I really need your help with this because we want to get this to the Polys before Christmas. So if you would do this, if you would try to have your offering or your pledge in by next Sunday, um, here's one way you can do it. You can take an offering envelope from the pew right in front of you, write your name on it. You say, well, I'm not going to have the money for a couple weeks. That's fine. Just write your name, how much you're going to give to that, and then put it in one of the offering boxes on the way out today. Just so we have an idea, we'll, we'll go ahead and cover you for that, um, you know, as long as you get it in this month. And we want to get that to them so they have it by Christmas. So would you do that for us? I know this is a busy time, but please don't forget, make that a priority. And then also what you can do if you want to do it digitally. I don't know if you know this, but you can scan the QR code above any of the giving stations, and it'll go right to the giving page. You just choose the missions, I think it says missions love offering, but it has their name on it. You can't miss it. It's only five funds on there, and one of them has their name, okay, the Polys in Canada. So we really want to be a blessing to them. Just add them right to your normal Christmas giving list, and... Um, I promise you, nobody in your family will notice if you shave $5 off everybody's gift and give it to the Paulies. But I can promise you, who will notice? God will notice. And he'll notice if we don't, too. You say, oh, now you're guilting me. Well, that's a little pastoral privilege there. I get to guilt you every once in a while. Okay, I try not to abuse that. But let's make this a good offering for the, for the Paulies. Luke chapter 16, the first 15 verses, and I've titled this this morning, I believe this is the theme, the best investment we could make. On. Somebody says no sometimes, you know, on. All right, good. The best investment you can make. You know, we spend a lot of time, now I think we could all agree on this, some more than others, but we can all agree that we spend a lot of time thinking about money, don't we? I mean, just think about this week, how much you thought about money. Just think about that. How many things you did, how many um, times you borderline meditated on money or the lack of money, what you're going to do with money or what you weren't going to be able to do because you didn't have money, how much time we spent on that. Spent a lot of time. It's no secret that money can be a major source of stress in our lives, in marriages, in really any part of life. And by the way, that's not simply um, coming from a lack of money. People that have money, they stress about money as well, just for different reasons. Money, it's, it's in and around everything we do, it seems, on this world. You know, January 2023, so this is, what, about 10 months away? 10 months previous, CNBC cited a survey from Thriving Wallet. It's an online survey company. And they found that 90% of Americans say that financial considerations have a big impact on their stress levels financial considerations. Here's what they found. 90% of individuals say that money has an impact on their life, a big impact. 65% report feeling that their financial difficulties are piling up so high that they can't overcome them. 65%. That's this year. Roughly 40% report that they're currently taking no notable steps to secure their financial future. 40%. 40% also wish that they could have a fresh financial start. 
25% feel extremely optimistic about their financial future. 25%. You know what that means, the other 75%, right? 25% make purchases they later regret when experiencing significant stress. 40% say managing their money on a daily basis limits their enjoyment in day-to-day -day life. Managing their money on a daily basis. You know, think with me this morning how influential money is in so many of our life decisions. I mean, what about retirement? It's not even the age anymore, right? It's how much am I going to have because I have to have a certain amount to be able to retire, right? What about owning a home? I mean, money is almost the entire uh, situation there. What about driving a car, gas, insurance, purchasing, taxes? What about clothing and feeding ourselves, our families? What about eating at restaurants? What about taking a vacation or enjoying leisure activities or extracurricular activities? Money, money, money heavily influences these decisions. What about sports, team events, regular exercise? I don't know of any free gyms. Social plans with friends and family. I mean, almost everything we do involves money. Marriage, adopting, having children. What about the daily personal hygiene and care? It's not like it used to be. I mean, have you, have you opened the cabinet door to your vanity recently? <laughs> All that stuff costs money. What about pets? That's a sore subject. We'll move on from that one. <laughs> what about offerings to our local church? Helping out those that are in need. Money, money, money. Jesus used money as illustrations in many of the parables. Matter of fact, somebody said something recently. It was incorrect, and I was glad to see some guys online that refuted it. Said that Jesus talked more about money than anything else. That's, that's not true. Jesus used money as an illustration more than anything else. But he wasn't talking about money. Similar to what we studied Wednesday night, right? The parable of the talents. He, that it wasn't actually even a parable about money. He just used money as an illustration. Here, in our parable today, in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, Jesus uses the topic of money. But today, it's not just an illustration. He is actually talking about money. It's very helpful, very helpful as we look through this. And I pray that this is one of those parables, to me, is a little confusing. And maybe today, the study that I've been able to put in on this will be helpful for us to clarify what this parable actually means and then be able to accurately apply it to the life of a child of God. So important. If you remember the context... Three parables right before this, right? Jesus has been teaching parable after parable after parable, it seems. Three last parables we read, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. How God delights in receiving back things that are lost. How there's joy in heaven. We see an emotion of God. I think that's a wonderful picture of our God. It's, the emphasis is not on what was lost. The emphasis is on God's joy in receiving back that which was lost. God's joy in receiving you and me when we came to him for salvation. God delights in showing mercy. Today, though, I mean, those, those parables, those were all directed at the scribes and Pharisees, right? Those, that religious establishment, the leaders of that false religion of the day, directed all of them. Now he turns to his disciples and he's talking to followers of Jesus. Important to understand that. Let's start reading together in Luke chapter 16. Would you read with me? I'll be reading from the King James Version. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he'd wasted his goods. 
And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig. To beg I'm ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much dost thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Well, maybe you've heard different sections of that parable before used for different... We're going to look at exactly what Jesus was talking about what he was meaning here, and it's all on the subject of money, every bit of it, and where we should invest our money. What is the best place to invest our money? Well, you saw the storyline, but before we jump into that, let's go ahead and ask the Lord to teach us this morning. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, this is your parable. You spoke it. We understand this entire Bible, all 66 books, preserved and inspired by Almighty God. We are so blessed to hear your heart from so many different perspectives as you spoke and inspired so many different men to pen your words. But Lord, we take significant uh, blessing from this morning. These came directly from your mouth while you were on this earth. Lord, would you give us a clear understanding of what you were saying here? Lord, help us not to be lost in the ancient culture and traditions that would make this make total sense to them, Lord. And would you give us understanding in these areas today so that we as well, 2,000 years later, can apply your truth just as clearly and just as accurately. And our lives can be changed and revolutionized. More than that, Father, so that we might actually be a benefit to you. Lord, you placed us here on this earth for a reason. And it wasn't just to fill up space. It wasn't to just consume this life on ourselves and do what we want. Lord, we find our greatest joy in serving you. We find our greatest joy in worshiping you, Lord. It is the way you created us. You did not create us to be apart from you. You did not create us to be separated from you. You did not create us to rebel against you. Lord, this morning, would you open our eyes? In your name I ask. Amen. So here's the parable, and I'm going to kind of give you a shotgun meaning of it. There's a certain rich man, a particular rich man. He's, this man has enough wealth that he could hire a financial manager. In those days, they called him a steward. And in those days, he would manage whether it's land or money or holdings or livestock or houses, whatever it was, that person or multiple persons, as we've seen in some other parables, would manage that for um, that lord or that master. So this rich man, he he's has one of those men. He's also rich enough that he has become a lender to other people in his area. He has lent them goods, money possibly. This steward, his wealth manager, managing his holdings at some point uh, is doing this apart from him in, in a remote way. Maybe the, the, the rich man is, is out. He's maybe living in a totally different area. We don't know. But word gets back to this rich man that this steward is not doing a very good job 
Matter of fact, the Bible says that the word gets back to him that the steward is wasting his goods. So I'm trusting this guy to take care of my money, to take care of my possessions, to actually make some money. That would be helpful. But he's not doing that. He gets back to him. Well, he confronts his steward. He, he gives him his notice, gives him his two weeks, four weeks, I don't know, however long it was, which probably was um, a mistake on his part. You say, well, why would he, if he's going to fire the guy, why would he give him two weeks? It's just part of the story, okay? It's part of the story. Amazingly enough, even though that part doesn't make sense, if you didn't have that part, it wouldn't get to the point of the story. So I'll say more about that in a minute. He fires this guy. He gives him some time to prepare. So the parables, as the parable goes, the steward says, well, what do I do now? I mean, I can't do manual labor. I can't dig. So maybe this guy was older. That would be typical. They, they gain those management positions later on in life for they'd accrued some wisdom and experience. I can't dig. I can't do manual labor. I'm too embarrassed to beg. I know what I'll do. I have a plan that will secure my future once my employer lets me go. So he puts this scheme into action. And here's the scheme. He visits, we know of two men, he might have done more, but he visits two men, two debtors, two men that owed his employer money. And he sits down with the first one, right? He negotiates with this man. He, he owes his uh, employer 100 measures of oil, 100 baths. The Greek word is batas. It's seven gallons, basically. So 700 gallons of oil. And it's not like car oil, okay? It's probably like olive oil or, or you know, whatever, whatever kind of cooking type oil or something like that. And he cuts him a deal right there. He says, all right, you owe him 100 measures of oil. Sit down and pay me. What is he? Oh, I didn't even write that down. Oh, yeah, 50. He says, pay me 50. Here's the condition, though. You have to do it right now. So you owe him 100 measures. Pay me the 50, and we're clear. Interesting. Then he goes to the next guy. He negotiates with another man who owed his employer 100 measures of wheat. This is karas. It's the dry measurement, about 14, 15 bushels. So about 1,400 bushels of wheat he owes his employer. And he says, all right, sit down and pay me 80. Pay me 80 bushels of wheat. So he just, he just made about a 300 di bushel discount. Here's the condition, though. You have to pay me right now. Do it right now. There's some underhanded dealing going on right now with this steward. His boss was gracious enough to give him some time before he actually let him go. And he goes and, and he's quite underhanded during this time. In the scheme, it seems, and he, and he, he talks about this, the large discount he gives to each of this, this man, of course, it wasn't his, but he's still in, in control of his employer's money, right? And this action indebted these borrowers to him. It was actually quite smart. So that when he would be let go from his job, these men would be obligated to do something for him. And what he was hoping is they would take him in as steward. They would take him in as one of the stewards of their house, as we see multiple stewards in many houses. These men that, that he cut this deal with, they're, they're most likely complicit in this. They knew, wait a minute, this is a huge discount. And they, they paid it quickly. They, they're going to take advantage of this deal. They were probably complicit in this crime. The debtors knew what they owed. They knew they are getting away with robbery. But the scheme was in place, so these men would feel obligated to take this steward into their house once his current employer released him. When the steward's employer hears about this, as you might can imagine, he was quite angry. No, that's not what it says, actually. 
It actually says he compliments the guy. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's all to the point of the story. See, when you, you say an illustration, you could actually make it say whatever you want it to say because there's a point, right? It's a fictional story. He was impressed with the steward. He actually compliments him, compliments this unjust steward. The word unjust, adikaio, means iniquity, unrighteousness. So he was not telling this steward he was a good person at all. He was commending this steward for coming up with such a cunning and evil scheme. And here's his point. He says, because the children of this world are many times more cunning, more shrewd, wiser than the children of light. That was the whole point in Jesus making up this story. That, listen, disciples, the children of this world, they know how to manipulate and move around money many times better than you do. Better than the ones who hold the sum of all wisdom right here in their presence. Better than the ones who have the words of the living God right here. Many times we can be on the back burner of really smart investing, doing things that are wise with our money, etc., etc. Now, if we look at some of, uh, if you're here Wednesday night, you learned a little bit along with me. I was blessed to be able to share that. As I've been studying parables, parable after parable after parable, I've learned quite a few things, and and we, we shared some of that Wednesday night together, did we not? It was a wonderful study. So a few side notes to keep in mind about this parable, okay? As we're studying this, this parable is spoken to Jesus and his disciples, so this is spoken to people who are following Jesus. This parable does not have a person in it that represents Jesus. Is not in there. The steward in this story does not represent Jesus' disciples or any one of us. And the followers of Jesus, they're not even the subject of this parable, although they're mentioned as children of light, as just a kind of a side note. So what's my point? Well, the point is, the first eight verses that we just read, that story, we cannot, we must be careful not to apply anything in that story. Because it was told to lead up to the point. The point is what we apply. This information we just read, it's all fictional. And it's leading up to one point that Jesus is getting at. So what is the point? Here's Jesus' application. Let's let's run into it together. Chapter 16, he starts it in verse number 8. As he ends the parable, says, And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For, parable's over now, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than, than the children of light. And I say unto you, talking to his disciples, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Well, that's a downright confusing verse, if you ask me. So if we pull that thing apart and we look at the whole illustration that Jesus just gave to bring us to that point, don't look too far into the illustration because it doesn't sound a whole lot like real life, quite honestly, but it doesn't need to. It's pointing us to this. Number one, investing in God's kingdom, Jesus says, is the wisest investment. Say, oh boy, here we go. Jesus is talking here. And listen to what he says. This is, I'll be honest with you, until this past week, I never understood what this verse meant, because it's a little confusing to me. He says for the, in verse 8, For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of, of light. And I say unto you, so just like that man in the story, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting 
habitations. Well, there's a couple words we need to uh, diagnose there, okay? Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Mammon is a transliteration of an Aramaic word, memonas. Okay, they didn't believe there was an accurate word. I know some of your versions say money there, okay? But these translators didn't believe there was an accurate word for memonas, so they just said mammon. Okay, so it's not being, trying to be tricky there. They're just trying to be accurate. Make to yourselves the friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, your wealth, your possession, your money that is bound in this world. It doesn't mean that it's wicked money. It doesn't mean that it's uh, downright um, possessions that were used for criminal behavior. It is of this world. Make to yourselves friends. Interesting. So, and when it says of the mammon of unrighteousness, okay, make yourselves friends from the mammon of unrighteousness. Our, our language has evolved a little bit, okay? Coming from the mammon or the wealth or the possessions of unrighteousness. So the, the worldly possessions, the money, the wealth of this world, make to yourselves friends as a result of that. Invest this world's money to make to yourselves friends. Well, what do you mean? Make friends? Like buy friends? Now, here's, here's the, the truth here. That when ye fail, okay? When ye stop, when you cease, when you die, when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He's saying, use this world's money so that when you get to heaven one day, there will be friends that are there because of the money you spent to build God's kingdom. That's exactly what he's saying to his disciples here. He starts with saying that the children of this lost world are wiser with how they handle money than God's children. I mean, he just gave the illustration of this steward that was, I mean, he came up with like, okay, this is like a scheme that would be good for like a movie, right? I mean, they'd create a, a movie and we'd, uh, we would be, and rejoicing's not the word, but we'd be getting all excited. Like, wow, that was a really cool robbery. How did they perform that, right? You know, all the time we're like um, getting excited about robbery, you know, but, um, you know, welcome to American movies. Here he is. He's robbing his employer. It wasn't his money to give a deal on, but he was securing his own future. And how smart of him to come up with this Ponzi scheme to get everybody ready to accept him, to obligate everybody to be his friend and to pull him in for future employment once this was over with. And Jesus says, yeah, pretty smart, right? In fact, a lot of times they're smarter than you guys are. Here's what you ought to do you disciples, you ought to take the money that you get down here, your wealth, your possessions, and use it to make friends for yourself so that when you reach heaven one day, they'll be there to receive you. Interesting, right? Investing in God's kingdom is the wisest investment according to the God of the universe. The steward here was complimented. Jesus talks about, this is not the only time he's talked about this, by the way. Jesus talks about this also in Matthew chapter 6. You've heard these verses, but I, I want you to see it. Maybe you'll see it in a little different light. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that? Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, we just read in Luke chapter 16 how you lay up one of the ways that you lay up treasure in heaven. You put your earthly finances into building the kingdom of God. 
That's how you do it. You lay up treasures in heaven. You lay up friends in heaven that will receive you one day from the money that you invested in building God's kingdom. Did you notice in verse 20, he says, or verse 19 says, lay, don't lay up for yourself treasure on this earth. Don't, don't lay it up. Don't, don't pile it up. It's not, he's not saying don't take care of your family and all that stuff. That we, that's also talked about in Scripture. But in verse 20, he says, instead, lay up for yourself. Did you get that? He wants you to do some investing for yourself that is going to give you a return when you get to heaven. Lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. He says, by the way, no moth, no rust, no corruption. I mean, it's not going to, where thieves, thieves do not break through nor steal. I mean, he says it is the most sure investment. It's impossible to lose. Impossible. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, that's interesting. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. It goes both ways, actually. So wherever your heart is, that's where you put your treasure. Where you put your treasure, your heart automatically follows. They're one location, the same. He says you're showing where your heart is. John Calvin wrote this, Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Jesus mentions more than one time that our biggest investments are automatically where our heart is as well. What we do with our God-given resources, it's a direct reflection of where our heart is, where our priorities are. Jesus tells them here, the world is wiser with money than you Christians are many times. So what's our application? Well, simply this. Use this world's money to bring others into the kingdom. It's the best investment you'll ever make. Even the world knows how to manipulate money, how to do things for their advantage. Jesus is saying, this is to your advantage. I'm not asking you to give up something. I'm asking you to gain. That'll mess with your mind, right? Investing in God's kingdom is the wisest investment. Number two, I love this. I love the word of God. It's just so wonderful. Just depth out of depth after depth, truth after truth. Number two, faithfulness is the issue. Verse number 10. Remember, this is two, ver two verses after our parable. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, there's that word again, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Did you notice faithfulness in those three verses mentioned four times? Faithfulness is the entire issue here. I don't know about you, but sometimes my excuse when I don't have uh, the money that, that I want to give to like a special offering or when I don't have the money to do um, something for God that I feel like I should do or I want to do or when I feel like God is asking me to do something with my money, what is, what is my human excuse that comes up? Well, when I, when I have more money, I could do more. Well, when, I, when things get a little more comfortable, when finances aren't so tight, I, I do increase my giving. I would invest more in God's kingdom. Isn't that always our excuse? You know what I find? That no matter what income bracket we're in, that never changes. It's our human nature. It's our human nature. And quite honestly, it's our excuse. 
The issue here that Jesus has said, he that is faithful in verse 10, in that which is least, is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. He just started talking about this guy that was very unjust. What was he saying? The issue is not how much money we have. The issue is how faithful you and I are. If you're not going to be faithful when you don't feel like you have the money, he said, you're not going to be faithful if I give you the money. That's not the issue. The issue is not how much you or I have, how much possessions you or I have, how comfortable our life is, how much we have left over. The issue is how faithful are we? Little finances available, big finances available, nothing changes. Where is our money? Where is our investment pointing? Where is our investment telling everybody that our priorities are, what they are? We're stewards of God's money. So what are we using that money for? Paul, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes this as being a steward of the gospel. He says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, even more than this, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, granted, the faithfulness that Paul is talking about here is being faithful and not take credit for the gospel like it had anything to do with him. He's talking about, you know, men were worshiping Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm a Peter. No, he said, no, no, forget about that. This, I'm, just, I'm just a waiter. I'm just delivering this priceless message. He said, I am just a steward. I'm someone who has been given trust of the gospel. But that same side is for all of us. We have been exactly that given trust of the gospel. What are we doing with that trust? What are we doing with that wonderful message that has revolutionized our life? And then we spend all of our money on this or that and throw a couple nickels in the offering. Or, or we, uh, we watch missionary after missionary after missionary come through who's willing to change their address. And we just can't afford to take them on. It's real things. It's real things. Where is, and I, I can't speak for any of you, I have no idea what your finances are. Quite honestly, it doesn't matter to me what they are. Little, much, this is a heart matter that God is addressing for me and for you. Are you a faithful steward of the mystery of the gospel that God has entrusted you and I as Christians with? Are we faithful? Application. Be faithful and wise with the spending of whatever money you and I have now. There will never be a convenient time to be faithful. Never. That's the way the world works. That's the way our flesh works. It is always inconvenient. Faithfulness is the issue. Number three, we all choose our master. Verse 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters. We've heard this. This is not a singular teaching. Jesus talks about this a few times in the Gospels. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. It's impossible, he says. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot do it. Again, there's that word, mamonas, uh, for wealth or money. You, you're either going to make a choice here. He says, you're going to serve God, or you're going to serve money, wealth, possessions, the material things of this world. God or mammon, that's it. Those are the two choices. I don't know about you, but many times my flesh tries to convince me that I can do both. God says, eh, you can't. It is impossible. 
You will either love the one and hate the other or cleave to the one and reject the other. It will happen every time. This is a promise of God. You cannot do it. A.W. Pink says these, these two things are diametrically opposed, God and money. One calls you to walk by faith, the other by sight. One calls you to be humble, one to be proud. One calls you to set your affection on things above, the other to set them on things of this earth. One to look at the things that are unseen and eternal, the other to look at things that are seen and temporary. One to invest your life in heaven, the other to cleave to the dust. One to be careful for nothing, the other to all anxiety. The one to be content with such things as you have, and the other to enlarge my desires. One to be ready to distribute, the other to withhold. One to look for the things of others, and the other to look out for your own things. One to seek happiness in our Creator, the other to seek happiness in the creature. Is it not plain you cannot serve two such masters? We all make a choice. We have to. The hymn writer of, I think this might be Pastor Bill's favorite hymn, actually, Be Thou My Vision. Am I correct on that one? I think, yeah. He says this, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. God, give me that vision. Give me that direction, priority in my heart. There can only be one ruler of my life. I must choose. It's him or it's money. David understood God's ownership. This, this helped his financial choices. We'll study this passage a little bit more on Wednesday night. After his dedication to the temple, he, he, he gives this public prayer to God, and he says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty. And we would all say, Amen. But he goes on. For all that is in the heaven and earth is thine. Cheers. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee. Thou reignest over all. In thy hand is power and might. In thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. And we'll study this Wednesday night. He goes on to say, who am I? Who am I, God, that you would even give me the money that I am giving to build this temple? That you would even let me be a part of this? This was the heart of somebody that understands who is his master and who owns everything that is, everything that I think is mine, who owns it, and everything that I think is mine, who gave it to me? This is David. No wonder he was a man after God's own heart. What's our application? We must choose what master we're going to serve. We can choose to allow money to rule us, or we can surrender. That's really the only two choices. Let money rule, or we can surrender to God what is already his. Lastly, this morning, God knows, by the way, what you and I have chosen. We must choose. God already knows what we chose. Doesn't mean you can't change your mind, but please don't misunderstand that somehow we've deceived God. Somehow we've gotten away with something. God knows exactly what we have chosen, and many other people do as well. Look at the Pharisees here after Jesus teaches this parable in verse 14, chapter 16, verse 14. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. 
the religious leaders of the day. What a testimony. They were covetous. They loved money. They heard all these things and they deride him. They, they sneered at him. Well, why did they, you ask himself, why did they do that? Why did they sneer at him? I mean, he can teach what he wants to teach, right? Because he's stepping on toes. He's hitting them where it hurts. As when I put it that way, the truth is pricking their heart. And this is their reaction, not surrender and repentance, but ouch. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Jesus here uncovers their mask and he says, you are the ones that justify yourself before men. You love money and you spend much of your time convincing other people why that's okay. Why this lifestyle you live is okay. You're justifying yourself in the sight of men. But you're lovers of money, you're covetous. You're breaking the 10th commandment. So my question, how do I make sure this does not happen to me? How do I make sure that what is, he's accusing the Pharisees of doesn't happen to me? In Hebrews chapter 4, it's the last thought here as we close. You've heard the passage, but would you look at it in a different light this morning? For the word of God, right here, we just read 15 verses. For the word of God is quick, it's alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, this is what it does, and is a discerner or a judger of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He just likened the word of God to a sword that is alive Oh, we've experienced that as God's, God's people. If you've read the Word of God since you've been saved any amount of time whatsoever, it's alive. He said it's like a two-edged sword. So what does that mean? Well, it pierces soul and spirit. It goes in. It reaches the depths, cuts through all of our baloney, and gets right to the heart of the matter. I mean, he's able to cut through all of that. The stuff that we snow job everybody else, the Word of God cuts right to our heart. Speaks to us just like the Pharisees were experiencing right here. That's why they're sneering at him, because he hit him right there. The word, that was the literal words of God. God was speaking. Cut right to the heart like a sword. And is a discerner. It makes judgments. It allows you to decide. It separates the thoughts and intents of the heart. Surely some of you have experienced this. As you read the Word of God, you're, you're listening to the preaching, you're, you're listening to, uh, to the Word of God, maybe audio and daily devotions, or you're reading a chapter or four chapters or whatever it is, that time with God that you spend, and you begin to apply the truth that you read in the Word of God, and what does it do? It shines this Holy Ghost light on a spot in your heart, and it doesn't match up with what you just read. What is the Word of God doing there? What is God speaking to you? What is He doing? He's showing... I'm helping you to discern. I'm helping you to make a judgment. This is what's in your heart right now is not right. It doesn't match my word. So at that point, what do we do? We make a decision. I either go with God's word and I change, or I reject it and I keep my way. This is how we do not become like the Pharisees. We take the word of God just like they were hearing right then, and we allow it to change us. 
Or we reject, we make fun, we justify, convince everybody else why, well, what we're doing, why our lifestyle is the correct one. Justification or surrender. Either we allow money to rule us or we surrender to God what's already His. He goes on in this passage in Hebrews, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Quite honestly, the decision is really obvious, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Money is so alluring, whether it be $5 or $5 million, it seeks to take such a place in our hearts. This morning, Jesus tells his disciples, and you know what? The world's a whole lot smarter than you guys are when it comes to money. Why don't you take the money, the possessions you have, and invest it someplace that nothing's ever going to happen to it. It's going to be there to receive you. There are going to be people there in heaven one day to receive you and thank you for the money that you put in to promote the gospel. Now that's an investment. And it shows where our hearts is as we're following the God who has told us to be this way who has meshed everything in our lives to the, to the fact that when we are this way, we are truly at peace. When we are giving more, when we are more generous, we are truly at peace and happy individuals. I mean, there's something about giving to the work of God, something about helping out your neighbor, something about helping someone, showing them Jesus Christ, being the hands and feet of Jesus that just makes a Christian happy. It's because that's the way we were made to be. And it will never change. What's our reaction when the Holy Spirit checks us about how we use our money? Surrender and willingness or argument and self-will? Those are our choices. has nothing to do with your income bracket. It's a state of our heart, each and every one of us. From the moment we start making money, from the moment we've gained anything material in this world to the time we leave, it is a battle and a challenge Jesus knew that, and he helps his men who would help others. Let's do that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it cuts right to our heart. Lord, we did not come here this morning to be patted on the back or to be uh, coddled, Lord. We wanted to hear your truth. We wanted to know what the God of the universe would have of his children Lord, in one sense, it's because we want to please you as any child wants to please their father. But Lord, in a bigger sense, we understand and we accept sometimes just by faith that the way for us to actually be joyful and happy is by falling in line with the way we were created to be. Lord, there is no better place to be than doing the will of the Father. Lord, accomplishing your purposes. Lord, you have created us, you have birthed us, you have saved us to be someone you have a plan and a purpose all along the way Lord we spend our whole lives surrendering to that purpose Lord today would you renew that commitment afresh in the lives of your people God today would you impress Lord to start walking in a direction where we start being more generous Lord we start investing in the kingdom of God Father, whatever that may look like, we take what you have given us, you have given us, 
and we invest it in your kingdom. Lord, truly that is, I mean, we believe you, Lord. That is the best investment. Would you help us to quit investing so foolishly and so heavily down here? Show us where our priorities need to be. Show us how to do that, Lord. Father, many of us in this, we have, we have taken steps, sometimes wrong steps, Lord. They've landed us in debt. They've strapped us. You know, our income is, is lower than what's going out every month. And Lord, we desire to be generous, but we've strapped ourselves in. We've imprisoned ourselves. We are a prisoner to that lender. Lord, would you allow us, show us the steps in front of us, Lord, to start breaking out of that so that we can be the stewards that you want us to be, the faithful stewards. Lord, we understand that some of this is just going to take a step of faith for us. We're going to have to reject some comforts, Lord, so that we can be a part of what you're doing as well, the way you always intended us to be. Lord, bring us back to a right mind in these areas. In your name I ask, amen. Let's all